0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. Last week, um, I preached on a number of different things uh, related to the struggle though, that we all experience. But, but one of the things though, that I noted was the critical aspect of admitting our area of struggle. And I shared this paradox that repentance is actual strength. It's a paradox. Like, nobody would think of repentance as strength. Naturally, in our own self, we think of apologizing, admitting our weakness, repenting, that feels like weakness, doesn't it? It just does. But paradoxically, it's strength because it cleanses us, And it's honest to who we are, and it's honest to God, and so therefore it fortifies us. Friends, a paradox, a paradox is something that seems absurd or surprising on the face of it. But then the deeper you get into it, the more you realize that it's true. That's what a paradox is. And the Christian life is full of paradoxes, isn't it? Christian life is full of paradoxes, such as, by grace you are saved, right? That's a paradox. It seems absurd, but it's true. It's the way God works. Or repentance leads to strength. Or, you know, you think about the Beatitudes, the famous Beatitudes from Matthew 5 through 7, and and over in Luke chapter 6 and 7 as well, where where, where, Jesus says just. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are those who mourn, and those who who grieve, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and and those who are insulted or reviled or persecuted. Blessed are you. Why? That seems absurd. Only because in that sorry state, guess what? You're very near to the kingdom of God. And like Even if you're in that sorry state today, you're very near to the kingdom of God because in that state we recognize nothing in this world will do I need God. And God is very near to you if you're in that state today. And there's a danger to getting over-comfortable in life because we can lose that state and start to depend on ourselves. Again, this is a paradox. Or how about this one? Matthew 16 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life for me, wow, you lose your life for someone and then you find life? That seems absurd. But I'm telling you, Jesus says this more than he says anything else in the Gospels. You seek to save your life by your own means, by your own pleasure or power or pride or whatever it is, you lose it. But you lose your life unto God. God, my life is yours. You gave it all to me, and I surrender it back unto you. It's all yours. Guess what? You actually find it. This is paradoxical. Okay, open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. Jesus is going to give this surprising way of thinking here that turns our ordinary human way of thinking upside down And paradoxically, this way of thinking that he's going to provide is what leads to a life of significance and leads to the abundant life that he promises for us. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. When the mother of Zebedee's sons, that is James and John, two disciples of Jesus, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons, James or John, may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. Give them the highest honor. You're going to be the king. Make them the princes. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Can you go through the suffering that I'm about to go through? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed suffer for my sake. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, the other ten disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Why? Because they probably wanted the same thing. They're indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together, and knowing what was in their heart, he says to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's leadership of the day. Leadership really of any day, isn't it, unfortunately? Lording it over them, exercising authority over them, telling them what to do, but not so with you. Not so with you disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great I would circle the word great in my Bible, because here's the paradox. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Here's the example. Just as the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, by the way, it's the most honored man amongst men, just the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life up as a ransom for many. Now that's an amazing passage. What does mama want? What is that mama wants here? She wants her boys to be in the limelight, but Jesus wants his boys to be the light. Do you hear that? Mama wants her boys to be in the limelight, but Jesus wants his boys and girls to be the light. Mama's goal is status. Jesus' goal is service. Perhaps this is the message that James and John have been getting from mom for a long, long time up to this point. Sons, you gotta be successful in this world. Sons, you gotta be a winner in this world. Sons, dang it. I'm telling you, you gotta be more special than others in this world. Now, James and John have actually asked the same thing of Jesus in another episode. It seems to me they must have been getting this message from Mama for a long, long time because they asked Jesus the exact same thing in another episode. Let us sit on your right and on your left when you establish your kingdom in heaven. Those requests, Mom's requests, James and John's requests, they're all about ego, aren't they? They're all about my ego, And what they're trying to do, I think, is they're trying to fill some kind of void in their hearts that they need to be seen in a certain way with their ego as more important than the others, as more special than the others. There's a void that they feel, and so they're making power plays to get that void. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, we've all seen that. Okay. Now, other people, they feel the void in their heart. And rather than making power plays, the other goal isn't necessarily to take power. Their goal is just to maximize pleasure. You ever see that? Okay, there's a void in my heart, and I may not have a lot of power. I may not have a lot of influence in this world, but, but I really, really want a whole lot of pleasure, and so I'm going to seek as much pleasure as I possibly can, because more pleasurable experiences equals more happiness in the current way of thinking, both of these are done to fill a void in the heart that will never actually fill it. I love the way, way Victor Frankl put it. He was a, a, a very famous writer. He's a Holocaust survivor. And uh, he wrote famously in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, When a man cannot find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. By pleasure he means thereby pleasure. The pursuit of of more happy experiences give me a little bit more happy experiences, more and more pleasure because my life is devoid of meeting. Friends, I'd like to suggest this morning that while people try to fill the void with power or pleasure, what we all want, and we all naturally do that. No one's throwing stones. We all naturally do what I just described, What we really want at a much deeper level in our hearts, I believe every person wants is a life of significance. How about you? I think deeper than more power or more status or more pleasure is a life that counts for something. And that's good that we would long for that because God has made us to live a life that counts for something that's bigger than just ourselves. He wants the same thing for us. We tend to look to fill the void through power and pleasure, but God intends that we would fill the void through a life of mission or loving service, a life that leads to significance, on your outline, I put it this way. It's a lifestyle of loving service to God and loving service to others that ends up filling the void. It's learning to live a life, as Jesus describes here, to the disciples of loving service to God and loving service to other people for things that you believe actually matter, for more than just power or pleasure that ends up filling this void that we all have deep within our hearts. We really do ourselves well to remind ourselves regularly that Jesus was the master teacher. Okay, Jesus is the most brilliant man who's ever lived. Yes, he's the son of God. He's also fully man, and he's the most brilliant man who ever lived. And so what he does in the most marvelous teaching episode here is he takes the silly question of James and John's mama, and he turns it into an opportunity to teach his disciples back then and to teach us today something about leadership. It's a critical lesson, though, that he gives for his disciples here about leadership, You'll see it again right here in verse 25 to 28. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is what people do all the time. People in leadership, sadly, this is why leaders so often have a bad reputation. If you're a leader today, the quickest way to change your reputation if you have a bad reputation is begin to serve. Begin to serve. Be a servant leader and you're following Jesus. You do that. They all lorded over them. Not so with you, Jesus said. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave for the Son of Man. Here's the example. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm, So good. Now, I know we don't see this in the business world much. And I know we don't see this in the political world basically at all. And I know we don't see this much in the sports world. But I'm telling you, political and business and sports leaders, well, it would be better if they led this way. Jesus doesn't want you to like, become a preacher necessarily. Maybe he does, and if he does, amen, may it happen, okay? But it's like, the question is, how do I live like Jesus right where I am? That's the question. Right in the midst of your leadership, and all of us are leaders, right in the midst of where you are, how do I live like Christ and begin to think about this Jesus-centered leadership, which begins with service, which leads to significance, and I dare say, eventually becomes the abundant life. And I'm just telling you, like I'm looking over the congregation right now, and I see leaders in this room who I know lead this way. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they take the charge, they take the mantle, and they do it with strength, but they do it with love. And it's not because of me, it's because of we. And it's not because I want the credit, it's because I want you to flourish. And it's that kind of leadership that truly leads to a life of significance. It's that kind of service that leads to a life of significance. And once again, though, this is what Jesus does. Is he famously picks up the towel. And he picks up the water basin. And he takes the place of the slave in the house that he just talked about in that passage. He takes the place of the household servant. And one of the household servants' job was to wash feet when guests came over. And so shortly after this moment, Jesus does that amazing thing. It's after he gives this message to James and John and their mom and the disciples. Okay, here's how it plays out. And so he takes off the sandals of 24 dust and dung-covered feet. And he washes in between each one, even inside those nasty toes, which I want nothing to do with. And then he says, this is love. This is love. In case they didn't get it, that he was giving them an example to follow, he tells them explicitly, John 13, a new commandment I give you, as I have loved you, Much in the same way, you're to love one another. Indeed, by this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples by the way you pick up the wash basin and the towel, and you choose to love one another. That's different, isn't it? That is a different kind of love. That is a different kind of service. Do you ever ask yourself, what would this look like? This may be one of the most important questions you can ask yourself as a Christian. What does it look like to demonstrate this new and unique kind of love in my world? I mean, maybe sometimes on occasion it's literal washing feet, but my guess is more frequently it's a metaphorical washing feet. And what does that metaphorical washing of feet look like? What would be so unique about this Christian love in this world? Do you ask yourself that question relative to your position? As a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a business leader, as a teacher, whatever it might be. Do you ask yourself this question? Next week we'll talk about specifics of different ways that God gifts us and how we could unpack this in our lives in different ways. But let me suggest on a chart that you have in your outline... A few different ways we might think about this extraordinary Christian love that is new and unique, Jesus said, that he invited us to follow as it compares to the ordinary love that we see all around us today. So in one column, you, know, you see ordinary human love, in the other column, you see extraordinary Christian love. I would say ordinary human love tends to be project-oriented, whereas extraordinary Christian love is relationship oriented now as i say that i acknowledge that none of us has the bandwidth to extend in relationships deep immersive love to everyone right we can't do that we can only do that with a few other people And we accept that. We do that with our family and perhaps a few other people, and we would maybe ask God, what is one area, Lord, that you want me to join a mission to make a difference in a few people's lives for your glory and for their good? And like it might start with what we're doing next week, what many many people are doing next week, the feed my starving children, and hopefully it'd be more than putting nutritious meals in packets to be freeze-dried and sent overseas, it would be praying for those kids that will receive them praying for those families that will be receiving them and be fortified by them. And then out of that, we say, God, where else might you open up in me a heart for those who are in need? I I don't know. But that's more of an extraordinary Christian love is asking, uh, how can I invest in a few relationships? Ordinary human love tends to be random. Extraordinary Christian love is very focused Okay, so you've heard the common statement today, practice random acts of kindness, and uh, many of you already know this about me, and I'm sorry, it's just one of my idiosyncrasies, but I just find that statement really annoying. Like, what is, what is random about love? Love is intentional, Love goes after the recipient and seeks to bless the recipient. There's nothing random about... Like, when I think of random, it's like I'm going down the aisle at Hy-Vee and somebody accidentally bumps into me with their car. That's random. Or I'm at Marshall's and I'm trying to find a T-shirt and then all of a sudden I run into some chocolate-covered gummy bears. (laughs) And then after that, there's some more T-shirts. And that's just random, right? Okay, but Christian love is not random. Christian love is focused. On the recipient, and it makes a difference, therefore, in the recipient's life. What if instead of practicing random acts of kindness, well, we practice focus acts of meaningful beauty. I think that sounds better. Maybe not. Okay. You get the idea. It's not random. It's focused. Ordinary human love is convenient. Ordinary human love is like this. Um, What's in it for me? Is this convenient for me? And if so, I'm going to do a little drive-by blessing, and then I'll be gone. It's convenient. Whereas extraordinary Christian love is not convenient, it's committed. Extraordinary Christian love does it when it's not convenient. It does it well when it's hurting. And this is what I pray that we would all have with our family, but again, hopefully well with a few others. Raise your hand if you ever heard of the name Pastor E.V. Hill. Know that name? Pastor Dr. E.V. Hill, wonderful, wonderful pastor from another generation. Uh, he, he died maybe three or four years ago, but a few years after that, his dear wife Jane died, and uh, Pastor Evie and his wife Jane, pastors t- together, he was the lead pastor um, for uh, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles for like 40 years. It was the only church. Pastored it faithfully, day after day, year after year, 40 years. Amazing. Then... Um, Several years ago, when his wife Jane died of cancer, uh, Pastor Evie Hill said, I'm doing her funeral, which I don't think I could do. <laughs> but he did his wife's funeral, and he gave one of the most amazing sermons at his wife's funeral. And he said, shared so many things about the way Jane made him a better man. And uh, one of them was this, uh, when he was a young, struggling preacher... And they had a hard time making ends meet. He came home from the church while well, one day, and as he walked into the living room, opened the door, and walks in the living room, and uh, right before him is this beautiful candlelight dinner. He says, wow, my wife made a candlelight dinner for me tonight. And then he goes into the bathroom, and he turns on the light to the bathroom so he can wash his hands but before dinner, and the light doesn't go on. And so he goes in the bedroom, and he takes off his coat, and uh, turns on the light but darkness prevails the light doesn't go on he comes back to the living room table and he says Jane what's going on? the electricity isn't turning what's going on with the lights? they're they're not turning on in the bedroom or the bathroom and and Jane started to cry and she said Evie you work so hard you are doing everything you possibly can for me and our young family and we just didn't have enough money to pay the light bill and so I figured tonight rather than focusing on that let's just eat by candlelight and enjoy each other that's committed love, right? That's committed love. That's the kind of love that says, You before me. What can I do for you to lighten your load? And that kind of committed love that is focused on the recipient over time becomes transformational love, doesn't it? Ordinary human love has little impact on the recipient. It tends to be about oneself oftentimes, but transformational love has extraordinary impact on the recipient. Christian love has extraordinary impact on the recipient. Like, I'm sure Evie was transformed by that experience of love from his wife Jane, so much so that he retells the story at her funeral. What about those 12 disciples as Jesus washes their feet and he serves them for three years? I imagine their experience with him is what led them to give their lives for him. Because they're transformed by the measure of his love. And finally, ordinary human love tends to bring me pleasure. I've noted this already. It tends to bring me pleasure. I do this because I like it. Whereas Christian love is extraordinary because it's for others, and in the end, it does indeed bring me significance. In the moment, it might not bring you pleasure. But in the long term, when you choose to love in a relational, committed, non-convenient, focused, transformational way, over time, it ends up leading to a life of greater significance for you. Once again, this is the paradox that Jesus said. The one who seeks to save their life ends up losing it. The one who loses their life in service for me, that is the one who ends up finding real, and abundant life. Significance in life is found by how much life is given away. Significance in your life is found by how much your life is given away. When we love as Jesus did consistently over the course of time, what will happen is we'll feel joy joy like Jesus did. And this is one of the essential paradoxes That Jesus wants us to understand, significance in life is about how much life is given away. Let me give you just one more thought on a life on mission. We say here we want to join the mission in one area to make a difference in a few lives. A life on mission leads to a life of significance. I want to share with you well, one more thought, and then I'll close here for this morning. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a favorite Bible verse for many of us. It goes like this. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that so no one can boast. Many of you know that verse. Many of you can repeat that verse. Many of you have memorized that verse. Many of us, if you've been raised in the church, memorize that verse even from your youth, and it's one of the most powerful verses that I encourage all of us to memorize because it's a great distillation of the gospel. But one of the things that sometimes concerns me in the church today is this. We can quote that verse, but we fail to finish Paul's thought. We fail to finish Paul's thought. And to quote the next verse that is intricately related to that verse... For the gospel. And the next verse goes like this because, for you are God's workmanship, you are God's handiwork, you are God's piece of artwork, you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared ahead of time that you would walk in them. This also, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. Yes, we are saved by grace, but it's not a full stop right there. And if we believe it's a full stop right there, we've missed the gospel. It's not that. It's you're saved by grace to receive the love of God such that the love of God would flow through you to others. We're not stoppers, we're conduits. That the warmth of God's love would come into us and then the warmth of God's love would flow through us into others. We are saved by grace for good works. And God does this for us and for those around us because significance comes out of a life of mission. You're gonna find joy not through power and pleasure but from a life of mission In service to God and service to others, the measure of a life is found in how much it's given away. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, Check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at MyBridgeRadio.net.